0: Please open your Bibles to John 12, verses 9 through 19. If you are using the Pew Bible, you will find the reading at page 898. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. When a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came So the Pharisees said to one another, You see what you are gaining? Nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. May God bless to our understanding this reading from His Holy Word.
1: Please share with me in prayer. Mighty God, we pray that Your Word would, as it is uh, intended on every page to do, point us to Jesus Christ and to His glorious Gospel. And I pray, as a result of Your Word being read and preached this morning, that uh, You would send us out. Uh, boldly uh, to um, follow King Jesus even to the ends of the earth. We ask in His name. Amen. Psalm 2, that great messianic psalm that was quoted over and over by the early uh, church as a prophecy of Christ begins by asking this question why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us Such has been the attitude of kings and rulers over the past 2,000 years toward the Lord Jesus Christ. The more powerful their rule, the more hatred it seems that they have of Christ. The more tyrannical their designs, the more rage that they direct at Christ. Why is Christ so despised and hated by the ruling class. Chiefly, I believe, it is because of Christ's claim to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Daniel 3, a picture of Christ's kingdom was prophesied. Listen closely to this prophecy. Uh, You'll see why many kings and Caesars, prime ministers and presidents have despised Christ through the ages. Daniel 3.44 says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Hundreds of of passages of Scripture echo this theme. Christ is a threat to their power. If Christ is the supreme ruler of the nations, then the kings are not. And this is certainly the case with the religious leaders and the chief priests of Jesus' day. Christ is a threat to their power. Look at verses 9-11. through 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only account on account of Him, but also to see Lazarus, whom He had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Notice here in verse 10 that the chief priests are planning not only to kill or murder Jesus, but also Lazarus as well. Remember back in John chapter 11, Uh, verses 47 through 49, where the, the high priest that year came up with this... Well, he had prophesied. Apparently, it was a prophecy that God had given him. But he used this to plan murder, to plan the murder of Christ. And he specifically said, One man should die for the nations. Here's how. Here's, here's what he said. He said, So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do for this man performed performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come away and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that there that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not the whole nation should perish. Did you hear that? Um, One man should die for the nation. But now, you see what's happening here? In verse 10, they're planning the murder of two people for all their outward acts of religious devotion. The chief priests, religious leaders are murderers. They're planning Jesus' murder. They're planning Lazarus' murder. All because Christ is a threat to their power. All the world's leaders must understand and acknowledge that uh, the end of history has already been written. The end of history is at the name of Jesus Christ every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory to the glory of the Father. They must submit to the fact that Christ must reign until He has put all things and all His enemies under His feet. If kings and rulers must submit to Christ's rule, what about us? Are you submitting to His rule in your life? Or are you a law unto yourself? Whose plans drive your decision-making? Yours or Christ's? Who is the King of your life? You or King Jesus? The religious leaders and chief priests were already on edge because of Jesus and Lazarus. But Jesus made uh, the two-mile walk from Bethany, remember he was in Bethany having this dinner, making the two-mile walk to Jerusalem for the Passover. And as he's making this walk, word has begun to spread in Jerusalem that Jesus is headed their way. And so crowds began streaming out of the city to go meet him. And this wasn't just a trickle of people. During Passover week, Josephus, the the Jewish historian, said that uh, 2,700,000 people flooded into Jerusalem. I don't know exactly how Josephus was able to determine that. That seems like an awfully big number. Um, But uh, it was certainly a number in the hundreds of thousands. Um, many historians attest to the the great crowds that would come into Jerusalem for Passover week. But now, here they are. They're flooding out of Jerusalem. And they are headed to meet Jesus. And in their enthusiasm, the crowd began cutting palm branches. And this was a sign of welcome, typically uh, reserved for a conquering king. So by spreading the palm branches, the crowd was acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah. And if there was any doubt as to what they believed and what they intended by spreading these palm branches, they removed all doubt by by their cries and their shouts. They were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. What does Hosanna mean? Well, Hosanna is a Hebrew word that was transliterated into Greek, and now we have it transliterated into English. It's only found one place in the uh, Hebrew Bible, in Psalm 118, verse 25. Hosanna literally means, if you were to look up that passage, um, it says, save us, we pray, in the English Standard Version. It literally means, save us, please. Um, so in Psalm 118, I'm going to give a little more uh, context here to this passage. Psalm 118 Psalm 18 was recognized as a messianic psalm. And so they are, they are quoting this psalm. They are calling it aloud as they spread these palm branches before Jesus. And they are crying out, Hosanna, O Lord! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Many centuries passed from the time Psalm 118 was written until Jesus came to earth. The meaning of the word Hosanna changed over those centuries. Uh, so from the time it was written till the time that the people were calling out Hosanna um, as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, the meaning had changed just a bit. So instead of a request, save us we pray, or save us please, the word Hosanna had become a declaration. It was a declaration of salvation. And so they were declaring, salvation has come. The long-hoped-for salvation has arrived with Jesus Christ. That is what they are saying here as Jesus is coming toward Jerusalem, as they are crying out. We live in a world that was created by God. We are His creatures. We rebelled against God. Left to ourselves, we would continue in our rebellion, hating God and hating His righteousness. But God so loved sinners that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. And so when Jesus arrived here on earth, His salvation arrived. We live in a world even though we are sinners, we live in a world where we can possess a salvation that God purchased with the blood of His own Son. Hosanna! As Jesus moved toward Jerusalem, for the first time, it seems, He was willing to openly receive the adulation of the masses of the people. He even appears to be stirring the crowd. Because since, um, as we learn from the other Gospels, he had arranged for a donkey to be um, set aside for him to ride on. Remember that from the other Gospels. And so um, the donkey was provided uh, for him. He, he uh, then climbed on the back of the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. And this was huge. This was a statement being made by Jesus. Because He is pro- he is proclaiming that He is the Messiah. And the crowds understood what Jesus was saying by His riding on a donkey. It just stirred them even to, to even uh, greater praise. The religious leaders and the chief priests certainly knew what Jesus was saying when He came riding on on the donkey. It appears to me that the only people who did not fully grasp the meaning of Jesus' actions was His disciples. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. It does seem like uh, the disciples are always the last ones to the party. In fact, last week, we uh, Mary seemed to be further along uh, than the disciples at the party. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Um in the Old Testament when he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, This prophecy was given in Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, Verse 15 is the only one that is quoted here in our passage. So verse 15 says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. But listen to the prophecy in its fuller context from Zechariah 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having a salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off and He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This prophecy not only identifies how the Messiah, the true King of Israel, will arrive on the scene, but it also says that His rule will extend beyond the borders of Israel. His rule... It says will be from sea to sea. From the river, and I'm assuming the river here spoken of is the, the Jordan River. From the Jordan River to the ends of the earth. King Jesus, Zechariah nine, is telling us is the ruler of the world. The fact that he came riding on that donkey was his proclamation that He is King. From the moment Jesus arrived on the earth, He is King. And His kingdom was a worldwide rule. He was. Uh, th- th- there's this idea that's floating around that Jesus will not assume His supremacy as King until He returns to earth uh, a second time and ushers in a 1,000-year reign. I reject this. Uh, I reject it as strongly as I know how. Jesus is king now. He has the preeminence now. He's not a partial king. He's not a prince in waiting. He has been enthroned as king and ruler of the world now. But it doesn't seem as if he's ruling, someone might say. There's a lot of evil and chaos in the world. How is He ruling um, if He's King of the world? Zechariah 9 says that His rule will be a rule of peace. He shall speak peace to the nations. Jesus is called the King of Peace. He is bringing His peace to the nations. How? By His glorious Gospel. The Gospel is the message of the Kingdom. Jesus is extending His kingdom by the proclamation of His gospel. And that's Christ's great commission to the church. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. We are warriors in Christ's kingdom. And we are armed with the most powerful weapon that has ever been entrusted to mankind. The book of Romans says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. This, is, this powerful weapon is a message of peace. That's why people who take the gospel of Christ to the nations are said to have beautiful feet. If you reject the gospel of Christ, you're rejecting the message of peace. If you reject the gospel of Christ, you are acting as an enemy of true peace in the world rejecting the king of peace the religious leaders and the chief priests you can just imagine their reaction to this they have to be beside themselves look at verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. This is a, they're bearing witnesses in the imperfect tense, meaning that they are continually bearing witness. They are continually crying out, "Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord!" And they won't stop. And. The religious leaders seem ready to give up. Look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And in their frustration, they are uttering a great truth. And they say that the world has gone after him. At the risk of spoiling some of my thunder for next week, I want you to look at verses 20-23. through We'll peek ahead, but we'll not spend very much time here. John 12, verse 20, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He hears that these Greeks, these Gentiles, want to see Him. What is His reaction? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words... Jesus has just proclaimed by coming riding in on a on a donkey that He is the worldwide King. That His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And so now, immediately on the heels of this, Gentiles are coming to seek Him out. And His response... The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words, Jesus is saying here that His gospel was never intended just for the nation of Israel. His time has come for Him to be glorified when the Gentiles began approaching Him. The gospel is not just for Israel. The Gospel is not just for church people. If we are going to give full obedience to Jesus who came riding in on the donkey, who, pro- who is proclaiming there on that day that He is the worldwide King, then what must we do? We must go... Our Savior is a world-ruling King. We as His people are commissioned to go with His Gospel and seek those who are outside our church body, to seek those who are living in darkness and don't even know it. Our King, King Jesus, is a worldwide Savior. We are sinning if we simply stay here and don't seek out um, uh, people uh, and seek out the lost to extend His kingdom, to extend His rule. Are you willing to go? Let's pray. King Jesus, You are not only King of the world, you are King of the universe. Colossians 1 says that you have preeminence in everything and that throughout creation, you are upholding all things. And you came here to this world to be our Savior. Help us to spread the glory of your kingdom by proclaiming the everlasting an all-powerful gospel to all peoples, to all nations. We ask in your ever-blessed
0: name, Amen. Hosanna.